The New York Jets are now on the board. Okay, Jet fans, Darrell Revis. Being in New York has been one of the greatest blessings. Zach Smith Avenue, brand that one right now. The New York Jets flag. Welcome to another episode of the NFL Draft Preview. I'm Eric Allen, joined by the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, we got some good news. We got some bad news. It's the same bit of news. Ethan Greenberg's still in Hawaii. <laughs> the good news is for Ethan, right? I mean, that's yeah, that, not a bad place to be right now this time of year. Oh, my God. We're so jealous. Um, but spring is around the corner. Hope is eternal, especially for the Jets. Fourth and tenth selections in this draft. Four picks in the top 38. Uh, I think this fan base is really revved up for what is going to be a fascinating draft, don't you think? Oh, there's no question. I mean, this is a this is a pivotal draft for uh, a lot of teams, uh, and, and Jets being one of them. When you have two f- top ten picks, and especially with uh, you know the current state of this roster, you have a quarterback coming into his uh, sophomore year in the NFL. You've got uh, you know head coach and general manager that. Uh, you know, this is this is where you really need to build that roster and get some core pieces to what you're building, both with your culture, both with uh, the on-field product. So this is uh, this is a pivotal draft for for this franchise, uh, and so it's going to be fascinating. They, they can go in so many different directions. Uh, one of them being the position we'll talk about today, and that's corner. Oh man, you set it up perfectly. First off, I wanted to ask if you got any rest over the weekend. The beast is out. Your draft guide, the labor of love. It is a tremendous read. And if you are into the 2022 NFL draft, as everybody in Jets Nation is, this is a must. Yeah, no, the feedback has been just tremendous. Uh, 320,000 words. uh, And I try to be very concise. It's not something I try to be wordy. Uh, but if you like the NFL draft at all, uh, 0% chance you'll be disappointed. Uh, testing data at uh, the athletic testing data for 1,700 players are in there. No other draft guide has that, I promise. 400 reports, uh, just a lot of background info that helps paint a picture, uh, you know, where these guys, uh, you know, are coming from, uh, where they're headed, that type of deal. So uh, it, it's something that I'm very, very proud of. And uh, the feedback has been so much, uh, it's so awesome and it's so fun to hear from everybody. So hopefully people check it out. All you need your athletic subscription and it's automatically included with that subscription. All right. We salute you. If you're looking at the guide right now, go to page 227 because that's where we're at. We are at the cornerbacks. I want to start with this. How many corners do you think should be taken in the first round? And ultimately how many cornerbacks do you think will be taken in the first round? Um, should, I, I think it's, you're probably looking at three to four, um, will probably looking at three to four as well. The interesting thing will be with some of these guys, uh, you know, th- three guys we're going to see definitely in the first round with Ahmad sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, Trent McDuffie from Washington, and then Derek Stingley from LSU in whichever order it ends up being, uh, all three of those players should be off the board somewhere in the top 20 picks. Then in the last 10 to 12 picks of the first round, do we see another corner get in there? And if we do, which one? Maybe we see two more uh, get in there. That's very possible. I think Andrew Booth from Clemson is a, a really talented player, but he's dealing with injuries right now. Has not been able to work out this pre-draft process because of multiple surgeries, uh, hernia surgery. Uh, you know, just working his way back from that. That's enough that could push him into the second round, even though I think most teams view him as a first-round talent. Uh, and then you've got guys like Kyer Elam from Florida, 
big physical corner, ran a 4-3. There's a lot of things that like you like about him translating to the next level. Kyler Gordon from Washington is probably more of a second-round graded player. But corners, it's one of those premium positions. So I don't think it'd be surprising at all if maybe he gets pushed up a little bit into the back half of round one. So we're going to see three corners in the first round, top 20. It's just how many do we see in those final 10 to 12 picks? I definitely could see one or two more. In this 2022 draft class, is Ahmad Sauce Gardner worthy of a top five selection? I think you could easily make that argument. Um, six, two and three quarters, 190 pounds. Uh, he, he did one drill uh, this entire pre-draft process at the Combine and then uh, at, at his pro day. Uh, didn't do a three cone, didn't do any jumps, just did, uh, just the 40-yard dash. And he ran a 4-4-1, uh, which is pretty impressive at that size. Uh, the confidence level that he plays with is, is tremendous. Uh, there's a lot to like about uh, just what he put on film and the fact that teams didn't go after him. Uh, and that kind of made it difficult at first when you're evaluating him because you didn't see a lot of those one-on-one matchups. Uh, you didn't see him go up against some of these top-tier receivers. And so it's a little bit of a slow burn. And then by the time you get through all of his tape, you're just you're like, okay, well, you know, why? what's not to like about this guy? So, you know, he's a little long-legged, and there are times where he'll get out of control a little bit. But, I mean, we're nitpicking at that point. Ahmad Gardner, uh, one of the better players in this draft and a guy you can forecast coming into your locker room, uh, you know, immediately uh, making an impact. I was talking to someone that uh, it trains with Ahmad Gardner, and he was saying how, you know, there's a couple corners all together uh, working out, and the cornerback room was very quiet. You know, they're just doing their workouts, things like that. Uh, Ahmad Gardner was uh, a week or two late because Cincinnati played so deep into uh, into the playoffs, uh, into the season this past year. So he was a week or two late going to training. Once Ahmad Gardner showed up, it's like the temperature in the room just skyrocketed. Every all of a sudden, it's energetic. Yeah, everyone's uh, you know uh, getting on each other and having fun, and uh, that, that's kind of how we, what he does. I mean, that's his personality. That's how he plays. That, that's how he carries himself. And I think a lot of teams will look at that as a, as a, as a positive for what he could bring to the locker room. So Ahmad Gardner would not be surprised if he ends up being a top five pick in this draft. How does a guy go from being the number 163 cornerback in the 2019 recruiting class to one of the top players selected in the draft? Yeah, well, this is a, a perfect uh, you know way to you know kind of flex the muscles of the draft guide because that's you know the background info kind of tells you uh, tells you that story. Uh, you know, he's he's a guy that was a smaller player uh, early in his high school years, 5'8", 140 pounds uh, as a freshman and sophomore. So uh, he was late to move up the varsity. Didn't move up the varsity until his junior year, and he was really mostly a receiver at that point. It wasn't until halfway through the year when a teammate broke his jaw that they moved him to corner. And then as a senior, that's really when he became this go-to two-way player. Uh, you know, led his uh, led his high school, Martin Luther King High School uh, in Detroit. Uh, led him to the D three uh, state championship there. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, Mod Gardner. It's like a team just or uh, college programs are starting to realize this guy's you know pretty legit. And a, a few uh, you know uh, uh, power five teams looked at him, but he really liked the opportunity at Cincinnati. Uh, what they were what they were telling him and the opportunity to play right away. Uh, in, in, in in that defense, and so he went to uh, became a Bearcat with Luke Fickle, and, and the rest is history. Three year starter had at least three interceptions each of the last three years. Turned himself into a first round pick. 
Can you talk about how teams did start avoiding them? Like you have some great numbers in terms of the targets last year where at the college level, you don't see that too often, but he was getting, it was almost like it was Darrell Revis treatment on the college level. That's exactly it. And, you know, talking to coaches uh, that uh, went up against Cincinnati, it's kind of pick your poison because Kobe Bryant uh, on the other side, uh, a pretty good corner himself, won the Jim Thorpe Award this past year. And I think teams going after Bryant, uh, that's what really won him the award because Bryant stepped up to the plate and, uh, you know, answered in a big way. But uh, opponents, uh, they just they stayed away from him because they thought, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, pick our poison. All right, we'll go with the, the, the we'll go with Bryant, the, the lesser talented of the two. Uh, and it ended up uh, with Gardner seeing only 11 percent of the targets uh, this past year in 2021 did not allow a single touchdown over his career. Uh, we're talking about over 1100 coverage snaps, which is just a tremendous, uh, tremendous stat that you're just not going to see very often. Uh, so a uh, consensus, all American did it on tape. Um, you know, he's, he, he's that sticky bump and run guy. Uh, but you also think, okay, he could play some zone. He could play man. Uh, you know, Cincinnati, they haven't produced a first round pick. Uh, in, uh, in over 40 years, uh, but a good chance that changes here in a few weeks. Robert Sala always says about his cornerbacks, hey, can you take a man on third down? Can you play man-to-man on third down? And this guy fits that description, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. There's no question. And I, I think that Robert Sala and their coaching staff, they're really going to like Sauce Gardner. I think the biggest thing for the Jets will be maybe just philosophical. If we're looking at the number four pick, and let's just say for uh, argument's sake that Sauce Gardner is not going to make it to 10, you know, whether he goes seven to the Giants or nine to the Seahawks. Uh, so if the Jets want him, they have to take him at number four. But say there's a really talented pass rusher that's available. Uh, the coaching staff, the general manager, Joe Douglas, uh, it comes down to philosophy. What's more valuable to them, adding another pass rusher to the mix? adding a talented corner. And that's something where in the past, I think, it, you know, it, the history would tell us that maybe they would lean pass rusher. But in this draft, with the way things shake out, could they maybe buck that trend and go with the, the long, speedy, shutdown corner? I, I think a guy like Sauce Gardner is really going to make him think about it. It's all connected here. Do you think as the draft approaches now in two weeks, do you think we're going to see that mini run on edges? I know there's going to be a lot of edges taken in the, this draft. We've been talking about that for months. But from one through three, do you mm -hmm. think we're going to see a run on edges early? I think there's a very good chance that we'll see two in the first three picks. Um, whether you know, Trevon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, those two players, uh, I think there's a very good chance that one will be the first overall pick, likely Aiden Hutchinson, but don't count out Trevon Walker as a, as a you know, sneaky dark horse to be that top pick. And then the Lions at two and the Texans at three. I think that there's a good chance that whoever doesn't go one will end up going two or three. And then, uh, you know, the Jets are sitting there at four looking at, okay, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, you know, what he could mean to our defense uh, if they want to go that direction. Uh, and so it, it, there's plenty of options here uh, with the Jets. And, you know, wh where do they want to address how high grades? Because really when you're picking top 10, it's less about need and more about let's just get the best player. And so, you know, the Jets on their draft board, who's higher? Who Who's stacked on top of one another when you talk about Kayvon Thibodeau or uh, Sauce Gardner or Jermaine Johnson or some of these other players? Uh, it, it's something that the, it, it's almost a good problem to have because these are all really good players that should help the Jets, uh, Jets roster immediately.
do you envision any scenario? You talked about it a little bit before you alluded to it, but do you envision any scenario where he does get to 10 Gardner? I'd be pretty surprised. Um, I, I think there's too many landmines uh, between four and 10 where he could potentially go. I think the giants uh, picking at five and seven, have, having two bites of the apple there. Uh, I, I think that, that that's what something they'd really like to do. And I also think we have to factor in, that once, if he did hit past, say, seven, um, there's going to be teams wanting to get out of there. Uh, Carolina at six, Atlanta at eight, Seattle at nine. They'd all love to trade back a few spots. And meanwhile, there are some teams in the teens that would you know, maybe look to jump up in, into the top ten to get a sauce Gardner. So I think the likelihood is very low that Gardner would get to ten. Not impossible. It's certainly possible. Uh, but I think the chances are pretty low that he would make it that far. The way you talk about this guy, he's all about the bright lights, right? Like this guy would be a perfect fit in New York, the personality. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I mean, he he really, uh, uh, you know, that's the sauce nickname is something that was given to him uh, back in peewee football by his youth coach when he was six years old, uh, just because, you know, he had the sauce. And it's something that uh, has really defined him and he loves it. He embraces it. Uh, it, it, it's something that, uh, you know, I think you're exactly right going to a market like New York, uh, and, and he would eat it up and it wouldn't be too big for him. Sometimes we know, you know, the, the bright lights, the big stage that can eat up some players and they're just, they're not equipped to handle both the football side and off the field. Sauce Gardner, uh, is not that guy. He, he would more than be ready, uh, to, uh, handle both, both sides. And I think he'd do a pretty good job of both. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating dynamic this year because you have each New York team with a pair of top 10 picks. So that means four of those top 10 picks are owned by New York teams if they don't get out. So a lot of these guys that we're talking about could be either or. Either they wind up wearing green and white or big blue. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And I, I think that you look at a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, who, uh, you know, we know is, uh, you know, he the off-field stuff in terms of his brand, in terms of, you know, he wants to, uh, you know, be more than just football. And, you know, that's that's fine as long as you're taking care of your uh, responsibilities on the football field. Uh, but a place like New York uh, would certainly uh, help him do that. And so that's an interesting fit, whether it would be with the Jets or with the Giants. And there are a few of those players. Uh, so uh, it's uh, so we're going to be really interesting with the top 10 when you have uh, four players potentially headed to New York. That's just an interesting dynamic uh, you, know, you just don't see very often. When Derek Stingley is healthy and available, what does he bring to the table? Yeah, I mean, we could go back to that freshman All-American season he had in 2019, and uh, I, I mean, he was lights out. We talked about how, uh, you know, teams stayed away from Sauce Gardner, went towards the other side. Well, that's how it was in 2019. Teams stayed away from one side. They went after the freshman, and all Derek Stingley did was answer in a big way and put himself on the NFL map. He had over 20 passes defended that year, six interceptions. Um, I don't think we have any questions about Derek Stingley and what he did in 2019. The questions are, okay, the past two years, did he regress as a player? Uh, the durability is something that teams are going to factor in. And not just the durability, but is this a guy that's going to be willing to play through injuries? Uh, that's something that teams will really uh, you know, talk to Stingley about and try to get to the bottom of it. Talk to his college coaches uh, and figure out, okay, does he have the toughness that you need to play NFL football that uh, you know a simple injury is not going to knock you out. So uh, with a guy like Derek Stingley, uh, he did have the foot surgery uh, this past year. And talking to him, he said it was the first surgery in his life. 
So this isn't a guy that's been hurt, you know, constantly over his career, but it is something that teams are, are looking at. And uh, it was good that De uh, Derek was able to get back onto the field for his pro day, just to show that he's, you know, moving around. Okay. Ran it in the mid, uh, low four fours and a 40 yard dash, which pretty good time at, you know, a guy that's over six foot, 190 pounds, jumped really well, uh, had under seven seconds in the three cone. So with Derek Stingley, uh, you know, it's it's easy to uh, look at, you know, some of the, the concerns based off of, you know, he missed more games the last two years than he played. That's obviously not ideal. But when you focus on the talent and what he could be in the NFL, that gets you excited and why there's still a chance he goes top 10. Yeah, that ball production of freshman year was off the charts, and that yeah. is at LSU in the top co conference in the country. Uh, Stingley's got good bloodlines, doesn't he? He certainly does. Uh, I mean, his dad played uh, uh, football mostly, uh, you know, on the uh, you know semi-pro uh, side, arena leagues. Uh, but his grandfather, Daryl, he was a former first-round pick out of Purdue, uh, played for the New England Patriots. Uh, and, you know, there's a sad story with him. You know, took a hit. Uh, he was a wide receiver, took a hit in a preseason game uh, and you know, became a quadriplegic because of uh, a neck injury. So, uh, you know, it, but it's something that, uh, you know, Derek uh, and his dad, uh, they don't run from, you know, they they still embrace football as uh, kind of their their driving force and what they what they really enjoy. So uh, it, it comes from a football family. It's what he's dreamed uh, of doing his entire life. And, uh, you know, pretty soon here, he's going to have a chance to do it at the highest level. LSU and Washington, I would say, are the two schools in the country who could refer to themselves as DBU. What can you yeah. say about the two Husky prospects that probably are going to find themselves hearing their name called in rounds one and possibly two. Yeah, and I, I'd probably throw Ohio State in there. Those three those three programs, they uh, it, it's pretty impressive what they've done, especially lately. Uh, but Washington, you almost have to put them at the top with the, the defensive backs they've produced. It's, it's really impressive. This year, could have two first-round picks at corner. Uh, Trent McDuffie is one of my favorite players in this draft. He's actually my number two corner behind Sauce. And it really stems from just how bright he is as a, as a coverage player. Talking to Trent, um, you know, and going through coverages with him and have, hearing him break down every responsibility of every single uh, player on the defense, how he communicates, how he, you know, based off of tells on the offense, how that's going to change things. How, okay, this receiver's in motion. Okay, well, all of a sudden I'm going from, uh, you know, this this cover three look to, uh, you know, press man look and and all these different things. So uh, Trent's uh, intelligence, I think, is something that really sets him apart, really impressed me. Also tested well. Another guy, low four fours in the 40-yard dash. Uh, the jumps were great. Not the biggest guy, and that's the biggest knock on him. 5'11", uh, but under 30-inch arms, uh, that's something that will be be a problem for a lot of teams that really value length at the cornerback position. But Trent McDuffie is an awesome player. That's why we're talking about him as a top 20 pick. Can play any coverage that you want. Really good run defender. Um, it, a really smart player, like I said. So the athleticism, the football IQ, uh, his ability to play different techniques, that's something that's going to shoot him to the top to, uh, of a lot of draft boards. And then his uh, teammate, Kyler Gordon, who mm -hmm. maybe, you know, is not as technically proficient, but a, a guy that has, uh, you know, an interesting background in martial arts and dancing. Uh, it, it's really, it, it really kind of developed his athleticism at a young age, and it shows he had a three-cone uh, that was 6'6", six, 6'7", six, which is a remarkable, remarkable – anything under seven seconds is outstanding. If you're getting under 6'7", 
that is a remarkable time. Uh, he also had under four seconds in a short shuttle, which is which is terrific. Um, he's still kind of you know blossoming at the position in terms of his awareness, in terms of his instincts. But uh, you feel like you're maybe buying low on Kyler Gordon and thinking, okay, the guy that he's going to turn into uh, throughout his rookie contract is what gets us excited. And that's why Gordon, late one, early two, probably where he comes off the board. Do you have McDuffie and Stingley close? And do you vault McDuffie ahead in this situation, in this circumstance, because of the durability, availability in college? That's certainly a factor, um, you know, and, and it's one of those things where you, you wish McDuffie was longer um, with how he played. Uh, but, you know, Stingley had, Stingley's arms are one inch, exactly one inch longer than Trent McDuffie. So it's like, okay, is that one inch? Is that enough? Uh, because with McDuffie, you love everything else. Like I said, you love the the, the football smarts. Uh, you, you love the, you know, the, the football character that he plays with. Really fluid player. Speed is there. Uh, you know, teams uh, stayed away from him because they, they know uh, going against Trent McDuffie is, you know, not something that's going to end uh, with a positive result more often than not. So um, I, I think with McDuffie, I, I, I lean towards him over Stingley. And I, I, I do think that if we're talking about, like, let's just flip-flop. Derek Stingley's 2019 season and his 2021 season. So he had this All-American uh, season as a junior all of a sudden, Stingley's he might be the top corner in this draft over Sauce Gardner, even uh, because that that one year was so amazing that that gets you excited. But because it was uh, back in 2019, it gives you a, you know a little bit of a, a pause and it makes you uh, you know cre- uh, doubt creeps into your mind a little bit. Um, but I do have them rated pretty closely. I just I, I do give Trent McDuffie the edge, even though he doesn't have the size factor. All right, so Jets fans might remember Abe Elam. He played for the green and white. Now his son is a kid who could be drafted maybe late in the first, early in the second. Kair Elam, he, his scouting report, when I was reading the beast, Dane, I was thinking about Stingley a little bit because Mm. you saw that production early on in his career and it might have tailed off a little bit. Yeah, and I think he's a, a player that uh, ran better than a lot of people thought. He was in the four threes uh, with his 40-yard dash, which is pretty impressive for a guy that's six one and a half, uh, 190 pounds. Um, also under seven seconds in the three cone, so you see that the movements there. Um, he, this past year, I, I think that whole Florida defense, maybe it was just not – not what you wanted, especially when you've got teams like Samford scoring points all over you. Uh, you know, it just it was not a good situation for that Florida defense. Uh, he also missed three games because of a, a minor knee injury. So with with Kyer uh, Elam, uh, that's why we're talking about him more as a second round pick who might get into the first. Uh, it, but when you have a guy with those measurables, a guy that's six one and a half, has that type of speed. Uh, has that type of physicality. Reminds me uh, a little bit of Carlton Davis when he's coming out of Auburn, a guy that wants to get physical. He wants to smother you and press. Uh, that, that's just, that, that's his mindset. That's how he plays. Uh, a very physical player. So I, I think that with uh, with Kyra Elam, teams are going to trust the traits, uh, even though that you know the senior year especially, the production, only one interception, uh, not a lot of on-ball production there. So uh, you know, I, I think teams are going to trust the traits with Elam. And I think in the back half of round one, there's plenty of teams that need a corner talking about the Bengals, the chiefs, uh, certainly a few others that could use help in the secondary. Kyra Elam is going to look uh, pretty appealing for them at that point. 
Uh, so Andrew Booth out of Clemson, 14 career PDs, five interceptions. You write that you think that he's best suited for a man-heavy scheme. Two, two questions here. What do you think about Booth's prospects on the next level? And also, who kind of also fits that mold in terms of these guys are better suited for man-heavy schemes? Well, I think, you know, starting with that second question first, I, I, Sauce Gardner immediately stands right. out because, of you know, I think Derek Stingley as well. Both those guys uh, really prove themselves a man. That's where I think they're most comfortable. Uh, Kyra Elam, uh, I, I think as well. I, I think he, as a press corner, a guy that, again, likes to get physical and he's not, you know, he's not playing. Uh, I, I thought when he was playing off coverage, that's where maybe he struggled just a little bit in terms of his twitch. But, uh, but you get him up playing nose-to-nose, getting playing press. That's where I think Kyrie Elam sh- uh, shines. And then with Booth, um, I-, I think that, like, like I said earlier, the durability factor, the health factor, that's something that's going to hurt him a little bit here. But if not for that, we'd be talking a lot more about Andrew Booth as a first-round pick because there's so much to like about his athleticism, his ball skills, his aggressiveness. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, I-, I think, you know, volatility there with, with-, with Booth because – uh, especially when he's asked to play in zone or asked to play off coverage. But when he's uh, able to just uh, play man, say, hey, go cover that guy, he can do it, and he does it in a big way, finds the football extremely well, very disruptive. Um, and when it comes down to it, you want your corners to be fluid, and you want them to be able to go find the football. That's what Andrew Booth does. Uh, he is that type of athlete. He has uh, the quickness. He's got that long gait to him uh, so he can close and make plays. Uh, He also has a a real knack for finding the the football. He looks like a wide receiver. He does wide receiver-like things at the catch point uh, in terms of locating, uh, adjusting, going up and attacking the football. So these things, I think, are going to really appeal to a lot of different teams, especially those that run man-heavy schemes. All right, let's go rapid fire on a couple guys. Roger McCreary. From Auburn, what I like that you pointed out is that guy had the production, but he played in two totally different systems. He did. You know, he was, I mean, press man. That's I think that's where he's most comfortable. Um, and he played that most of his uh, college career. And he played it mostly as a senior as well. Uh, but when Derek Mason came in as a defensive coordinator, kind of introduced him more to zone coverages. And, uh, you know, Roger McCreary at the Senior Bowl as well played a little more zone. So he's still getting used to zone and getting comfortable there. I think he's definitely more comfortable as a, as a press man player. The biggest thing with Roger McCreary is a, another guy that's just not very long. We talked about Trent McDuffie mm-hmm. not uh, falling just shy of 30-inch arms. Mc, uh, uh, McCreary is under uh, 29 inch arms. Uh, he was 28 and seven eighths. And that's going to be a problem for a lot of teams, especially when uh, Murray is a four five athlete. Uh, that's something that uh, you just don't see a lot of uh, early round corners that are short armed and don't have that top end speed. We don't see those guys go early, but Roger McCreary watching him in the SEC. I mean, just throw on the Alabama tape, uh, you know, the iron ball and watch him cover uh, those Alabama receivers I mean, this is a guy that knows how he's aggressive. He knows how to cover. He understands leverage uh, and he's tough and physical. So Roger McCreary, maybe he's best in the slot where he can use, you know, that toughness that he brings to the field. Uh, But all I know is get him on my team. He's a guy that I I think you have a good idea what you're getting with him, Uh, even though some of the the shortcomings will give uh, some teams pause and could see him fall potentially out of the top 50, maybe even out of the top 60. 
In terms of nickel corners, where does Marcus Jones out of Houston rank? <laughs> I mean, 42 career PDs, 10 interceptions yeah. last season, 18 PDs and five interceptions, Dane? Marcus Jones is awesome, man. He, he's so much fun <laughs> to watch. Uh, and, you know, the, the play speed, the twitch that he plays with, uh, the hip flip. Um, and, and he's got a receiver background, so he knows how to go after the, the football. And you 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 mentioned the the ball production. It, it's something that shows up uh, routinely uh, on his tape. And uh, you know the biggest thing with Marcus Jones is going to be uh, this kind of feels like a you know reoccurring theme here, but it's the durability. Uh, he had uh, uh, surgery on both of his shoulders, not just one side, both shoulders. He told me he's been dealing with those uh, injuries for quite a while now. Decided now's the time to get it done. Uh, but it kept him out of the senior bowl, kept him out of the, uh, of the combine, was not been able to uh, work out prior to the draft. I think he, he's not going to be cleared um, uh, until after the draft. And that's something that uh, for a guy that's not very big, he's 5'8", 175 pounds. So uh, another guy that's under 29 inch arms, you worry about the size, uh, but there's no question about the toughness. Um, and then the return value on special teams, nine return touchdowns in his career, six kickoff returns three punt returns, uh, that's just an extra dynamic that makes him maybe just a little bit more valuable when talking about drafting Marcus Jones. So this is one of those picks that will depend on what the doctors say uh, with the shoulders. As long as the doctors give you two thumbs up, he, uh, Marcus Jones belongs somewhere on day two as that slot corner and impact return man. How about Tariq Wooden? Uh, if you want speed, this is your guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a this is a unicorn, a, a true unicorn. How many guys out there are 6'4", 205, uh, and run a four two six, and are playing corner? And it just it's rare, very very rare. And with Woolen, uh, we have to factor in too that he made that transition from receiver uh, to corner really in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, he was receiver most of his life. Uh, that, that's that's uh, that was his focus. Goes to UTSA, um, and he had some bigger offers. Baylor went after him, uh, a few others. Uh, but, you know, he committed to UT UTSA, stayed loyal to that. Goes there, and he was a receiver. He had, uh, you know, like 24 catches over his first three years as a backup. And then in 2019, towards the end of the year, they had some injuries, needed someone to step up a corner. They moved Tariq Woolen over to that side of the ball, and they coaches decided to keep him there. And so for the past two years, in the midst of a pandemic, He's making that transition, and so still noticeably raw in a few areas, technically speaking, in terms of uh, just you know reading his keys and understanding routes and, and things like that. But again, 6'4", 205, almost 34 inch arms, and a guy that uh, has the speed, and not just the speed, but he had a 42 inch vert, um, respectable numbers across the board in all athletic, uh, all these athletic uh, testing numbers. So with Woolen, you're getting a, a, a guy that you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about what he's going to grow into, even though first year, second year, it might be a little bumpy. Uh, but Woolen, uh, the potential's off the charts. Uh, speaking of potential, how about let's stay in Texas and talk about Zion McCollum out of Sam Houston State. He had the numbers in the college uh, game. I know he didn't face the top-end competition. It's going to be interesting watching his transition, right? And no question. We have to remember that Sam Houston State, they won the FCS uh, national title in, in, uh, in spring of this past year. And Zion McCollum was a big part of that with what he did on defense. Uh, and he, he was playing next to his twin, uh, Tristan, who's also in this draft class. Uh, and tested pretty well as, as a safety, uh, where McCollum's more of that corner. And talk about ball production, 
nobody in this draft has better ball production than Zion McCollum, uh, a, a five-year starter at the FCS level, 54 passes defended, 13 interceptions. Uh, McCollum has a lot to offer with his size. He's 6'2", 200. Um, and, and then another guy ran a 4'3'3 uh, in the 40-yard dash. Uh, the three cone, six, four, eight. I mean, I, that's, that, that's kind of a mind blowing number. Uh, and then the jumps were outstanding 39 and a half inch in the vert, 11 foot broad, uh, unbelievable numbers, but you know, he, he just, he does not have the tape against the, the high level talent week in week out. So that's where the big, big concern is with him. But when you have numbers like this, both in the stat sheet and with your athletic testing, you're going to go high. And I, I think there's a good chance we see Zion McCollum go somewhere on day two. A team's going to take a chance on those measurables and say, you know, well, and he's a great kid too, the football character off the charts. Um, there's going to be a learning curve, but we're going to bet on those traits and, and see what he turns out to, to be for us. Oh, wow. So you got him in the second round probably. Uh, probably more third round, but I still, I mean, I, I think he's going to go more third round than, you know, uh, fall to day three. I don't think he'll we'll be talking about him as being best available when day three kicks off. I got you. Well, listen, the Jets got some decisions to make. They're in a good position here. As the draft approaches, is Sauce Gardner the guy? Could he be the guy at number four? We'll find out relatively soon. Remember, Dane, last year got some value on day three, right? With the pickups of Brandon sure. Eccles who started a lot of ball games for you. And the Jets are really high on their nickel and that's Michael Carter. Yeah. And, and no, I think this draft, and especially when we factor in the senior bowl, uh, some of the guys they coached down there, uh, Damari Mathis from Pitt, uh, you know, they, they, they had some success in the secondary uh, in Pitt last year. And I think with Mathis, you know, 5'11", 196, not the biggest guy, but tested really well. And, you know, watching him in, in that defense, uh, I, I think it's, it's something that will translate well to the NFL in terms of his toughness, in terms of uh, the speed that he plays with. Uh, Damari Mathis, uh, you know, can, I think he's really good in zone, but he can also play in man. Um, so, you know, one of those guys that the Jets coached uh, in the senior bowl that if Mathis were to get to, uh, say, the fourth round, which I grade him as a third round pick, but say he got to the fourth round, which is possible, uh, I think the Jets, that's someone the Jets could be interested in. Good stuff, Dane. We'll catch up with you next week. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks, Eric.